0: one is where we'll start today we're taking a pause from the normal and we're going to go right over to uh, a Christmas Sunday school and of course if you looked at your uh, your family devotion uh, you'd know we were doing Christmas this week all right Uh, Luke chapter one by the way there is a uh, the new family devotion that is out there is for two weeks from today obviously we don't have Sunday school next week Uh, With it being Christmas Day, we're just doing the morning service, so uh, that memory verse will carry all the way to January 1st, so uh, if you would, you know, just remember that, and that'll be the lesson on January the 1st. Uh, Luke chapter 1 is where we are this morning, and I'm going to try and cover some some things about the birth of Christ and uh, the truth of it, and just just go through some some basic things, but some things that uh, are a good reminder, and maybe some things that'll... kind of spur you on today and so uh, let's go ahead in Luke chapter 1 and verse number 26 we'll start there and he says and in the sixth month the angel Gabriel was sent from God onto the onto a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David and the virgin's name was Mary And the angel came in unto her and said, "'Hail thou that art art highly favored, the Lord is with thee, blessed art thou among women.' And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, "'Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest.' And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God." And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth; she hath also conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren. For with God nothing shall be impossible. Uh, and so here we have uh, we have the start of uh, ultimately uh, the the fulfillment of the prophecy that God gave about a virgin in, there back in Isaiah, uh, that a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. And uh, Of course, uh, the fulfillment of the prophecies of Jesus Christ, the Old Testament, and here he comes, and uh, we start here, and this is ultimately the start of uh, God announcing to Mary in particular of what he is about to do uh, in bringing the Redeemer into the world, the Savior into the world. So let's have a word of prayer, and we'll, we'll talk about Christmas this morning. And uh, Father, we thank you for the day. We thank you for your goodness, your mercies, your care of us. Father, the fact that you continue to to meet the need and supply over and over again. Father, we love you. We pray you would bless our time together. Help us, Lord, as we uh, look at the Word of God this morning, that you would bless it and that you would use it. Father, bring, Father, some things back to mind, Lord, that uh, we would remember today. And Father, we pray that you would help us maybe learn some new things or notice some things, Father, again. And Lord, we pray you'd uh, once again, bless the day be with Pastor Legault as he preaches this morning that you'd put your hand upon him and uh, give him the strength and the wisdom and the understanding he needs to be able to proclaim with boldness the Word of God this morning, that you'd bring visitors in. Father, I thank you for uh, one saved last week. And Father, we pray that you would just bring some more visitors in, help them to hear the Word of God, help them to understand their need of a Savior and they call upon Jesus Christ today. Lord, once again, we pray you'd get the praise, the honor, and the glory in Jesus our Savior's name. Amen. Amen. So here we are in Luke chapter 1, and uh, you have the announcement. Ultimately, the first announcement is given to Mary. Uh, Of course, the angel Gabriel shows up, and uh, he is the one that gives her the news that God has chosen her uh, to have his son, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. Of course, uh, it is uh, supernaturally done. Of course, a virgin shall conceive. Uh, It is something that the world would doubt. This is uh, uh, the reason we're covering uh, this one uh, this week is I want to I want to make sure everybody believes this is part of that belief in the birth of Jesus Christ, believing uh, what we believe and why we believe what we believe. And the truth is that this woman uh, found favor with God. Not that she was anything in particular. There's no immaculate conception for Mary, which is what the Catholics teach—is that Mary was immaculate and so she's sinless, and so and that doesn't work um, at all. In fact, later we'll find that she. Uh, proclaims to need a savior herself but the truth is uh, that God shows up uh, and sends the angel Gabriel of course and the Holy Ghost is going to come upon her and she is going to be uh, she is going to be pregnant with uh, Jesus Christ and so we understand that we understand it's the fulfillment of a prophecy that God has already given in the past in fact it goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 3 and God uh, giving the promise of the seed that would come. Uh, it is part of the promises that he gives uh, in, in Job where Job says that he'll see his Redeemer face to face. He'll go ahead and talk about the Redeemer standing upon the earth. Uh, at the latter day. He talks about it in Isaiah where the Redeemer, I shall send my Redeemer to Zion uh, over and over again. And it's the promise that God is bringing forth and he's starting it right here. He's announcing what he is going to do to Mary uh, and with Mary and through Mary here in the passage. And it's the announcement given to Mary is very simple that this is exactly what's going to happen. And you'll call his name Jesus, uh, which ultimately means Jehovah, that J-E at the beginning. Uh, is indicative of Jehovah. That's why all the kings, a lot of the kings' names started with J E. You know, and uh, God removes it from Jeconiah. He removes it, and makes him Coniah. Why? Because they don't want him to have his name. He is a disgrace of a king, and so God removed his name from Jeconiah's name and made him Coniah and all those things. Uh, and so what you get into is Jesus, of course, is Jehovah saves. He's bringing the Savior into the world, and God wants to save to the uttermost because of His Son Jesus Christ. And so all these things are piled up in this little announcement right here. I can't cover everything in the announcement, but uh, he's announcing to her, and he's making sure that she understands uh, that, you know, she's, she's wondering, well, how can these things be? Uh, he ends it in verse number 40, uh, 37 here of Luke chapter 1, and he says, For with God, all things are, uh, shall, uh, nothing shall be impossible. Uh, he echoes that back there in, in Genesis chapter 18. In Genesis chapter 18, uh, Abraham's asking him, and the angel's reply is, is anything too hard for the Lord? Uh, Genesis 18, 14. Uh, there's nothing too hard for God to do. Uh, the problem that men have is not that they can't, uh, it, it's not that they can't fathom these things, it's that they can't fathom that God would do these things. These are impossible. Uh, it's not possible. Worldly wisdom dictates a virgin can't conceive and bear a son. That's and that's the truth. If it just regular means, uh, physical means, there is no way that happens. Uh, but if God intervenes, anything can happen. Uh, and that's part of faith. That's part of believing what God says. And right here, God sends Gabriel to give the message and the announcement comes to Mary first. And so she is uh, given the announcement. And then you go back to Matthew chapter 1 and Joseph gets the announcement. Uh, Mary's told first, and then uh, here, comes, here comes to Joseph. Uh, Matthew chapter 1 and verse number 18, we'll pick it up there. And he says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph before they came together. She was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Uh, so obviously this is after the announcement that Gabriel made back in Luke uh, chapter 1, this is after she's already been found with child, right, uh, of the Holy Ghost. Verse 19, then Joseph, her husband being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her, put her away privily. He was going to do things quietly. He's a good man. Uh, and although he knew that he wasn't the father of the baby, uh, according to Jewish custom, he could, he could you know, eliminate the idea of the marriage, he could annul it, uh, and make it so that they weren't going to be married. They're espoused. They haven't been married yet. He could get rid of it and because uh, it was a disgrace. Uh, and he chooses not to. He could have made the announcement. Uh, he could have had her stoned. Adultery. He could have her stoned. She'd be dead. Uh, but he doesn't. Instead, he's going to go away and put her away privately. He's going he's to kind of get rid of the thing, sweep it out, and, and not my problem. Uh, but at verse number 20, that takes faith right there. <laughs> that takes a whole lot of faith right there, uh, to not put her away, to not have her stoned, and then on top of that, to go ahead and deal with what he knows is going to be shame. Uh, you don't think there's there's a reason that they brought the accusation of Jesus, uh, that he's a bastard and that he's all these things. Uh, you say why? Because that's his lineage, and Joseph took her, and he brought her in, and of course. Uh, he waits until after Jesus is born, uh, but uh, either way, uh, he goes. At, he he knows he's taking the reproach for this, but he also knows that what God told him, and he believes what God said. Uh, it's amazing to me how easy it sounds, and how difficult it is to just believe what God said. And over, that's what Joseph had to do. He had to believe that God was giving him the truth right there and goes ahead. Now, I find it interesting, and you can look this up later. I'm not going to do this. Or you can ask Pastor Lego. I didn't slide one of those in yet. Uh, the angel of the Lord is Jesus Christ. That's who he is. So Mary's already conceived <laughs> with the Holy Ghost. And the angel of the Lord shows up to Joseph. There you go. Uh, You say, how does that work? The Godhead. That's how that works. That's the Lord. And I can't do that, but he can. Uh, It's also interesting where the angel of the Lord shows up and Jesus is still uh, involved in the situation. So you get that. Uh, But here he is. And the angel of the Lord shows up. Uh, Amazingly, Gabriel shows up to Mary, but the angel of the Lord shows up to Joseph. Uh, You say, what significance does that have? I don't know for sure. But uh, I'll let you think about that for a while uh, and see if that really matters. So the angel of the Lord appears to Joseph in a dream, tells him for sure uh, that Mary is going to have a son and who he is and why he is doing this. And Joseph has to believe that. Uh, Joseph has to believe that God is using Mary, which means he understands the character of who Mary was. Why is he putting her away privily? Well, because he, doesn't, he, he thinks highly of her. He must think highly enough of her that he didn't want her stoned. And so he's, he's at least going to go ahead and he's considering. And he's trying to figure out the situation just like we would. What happened? How is this even possible? I wouldn't think that, that she would do anything like that. She's obviously high character. That's why the Lord chose her. He, she found favor in the sight of the Lord. Well, we understand why, we just talked about him a few weeks ago, why Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Well, didn't Mary find grace in the eyes of the Lord, technically? <laughs> she found favor with him. Doesn't make her sinless, doesn't make her immaculate, doesn't make her any of those things, but she found favor in the eyes of the Lord. She must have been doing some things pretty well. I'm assuming she's doing probably just about everything well. And the Lord saw favor and saw saw she could be the one that he would use and the fullness of time had come and he chooses her out and he also knows the character of Joseph. He's a good man and he's a just man. That's a pretty good deal and he goes ahead and does exactly what the angel of the Lord tells him to do. He believes and he follows. He does exactly what he's supposed to do. Uh, Amazing. Verse 24, raised from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him and took on to him his wife. And he does does exactly what he was told. Isn't that amazing? Uh, Done things always work out better when you do exactly what you're told, when the Lord tells you to do it. Um, But anyways, I won't get into all that. All right. uh, Chapter 2, he gets into verse number 1. And he says here in Matthew 2, 1, uh, Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. Uh, when Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, in Bethlehem of Judea. For thus it is written by the prophet, And thou, in Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the princes of Judah? For out of these shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Uh, and so, uh, obviously, this is a short time later. We won't get into that yet. Uh, but this is obviously after the birth of Jesus Christ has happened. So this is not in order. Uh, but what it is, is uh, these men have started and they have started to come. And you say, where did they start to come? Uh, they started to come to Jerusalem. They saw the star. In the they started traveling. When? When they saw the star. So these guys are, they've already started coming. They know something's happened, uh, and they were smart enough to be looking for it. Uh, they were wise men. And of course, uh, at the time, Caesar, which uh, reportedly to be Caesar Augustus, the Roman emperor, uh, had everyone returning to their home city uh, to come in and pay taxes at the time. That's what they were doing. Uh, Caesar Augustus, all the world should be taxed. Luke chapter 2, right? Uh, They're bringing them in and they're filing the taxes. They're going in and they have to report. But everybody has to report to their own city. They have to go back to where they're supposed to go. It's all on timing. Uh, The amazing uh, portions, and and I have done this, uh, was uh, repeatedly with different things. uh, And we've done it a few times here in Sunday school and things with uh, the timeline for Jesus Christ. And The Lord says in Galatians, when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son made of woman, made under the law to redeem them that were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. And it's it's the perfect timing of God that starts to show up. And the question of uh, what is God doing in time and the choice of what he does. Now, we already read Mary's in Nazareth. She's not in Bethlehem. She's in Nazareth when, when Gabriel shows up. That's where they are. They're not down in Bethlehem. They're in Nazareth. And instead, God has to wait. He's got to fulfill a prophecy. You say, what's he fulfilling? He's fulfilling the prophecy you just saw (laughs) out of Micah. He's fulfilling that he's got to be born in Bethlehem. And his son is going to be born in Bethlehem. That's where he's going to come from. So what does God do? Well, if you were to look over the timing uh, and go back into just regular history, you find out that... uh, A few years before the birth of Jesus Christ, they were trying to do the taxation. But the Jews felt like it was on fair representation of them. Sound familiar? And he goes ahead, they send emissaries to Rome. And it takes two, almost three years, I believe, for them to sort the whole mess out. And then everybody gets sent to where they're going to go. So what was the Lord doing? Uh, just waiting a couple of years for Mary and Joseph to be ready. His timing. To do what? To wait for all the world to be taxed. And he puts it off for two to three years, almost three years. Just so he could have the fullness of time and go ahead and set the timetable and set the state. He stopped an entire world from being taxed. Just so he could wait for Mary and Joseph to be ready so he could use them to do what he wanted to do. That's impossible. Okay. Why would he do that? Because he chooses who he wants to choose. Uh, There's a great verse, and it's not exactly fitting in this spot, but it's slightly taken out of context, but it is still true. Uh, Many are called, but few are chosen. God chooses people for certain tasks. Uh, In a couple weeks, we're going to talk about Abraham. Talk about chosen. Chosen. He chooses people, and He chooses people for a reason. And He chooses to use them for a reason. Those pieces in your background are there, but they're there because God's going to use them. He can choose to use you to do certain things that I could never do, that Pastor Legault would never be able to do. Uh, there's people that you can reach that nobody else can reach because of the way that you are. Uh, I'll never forget, a few, it was a few years ago, uh, the Suttons were still here, and we were at Youth Euthyblaze, and... Uh, it was one night at the hotel. I was I was prepping something. I don't remember what I was doing. I was down in the lobby though. I wasn't in, I wasn't up in my room. I was in the lobby. Uh, some people hadn't come back, and there was a man in there, and he was a party guy. He was, uh, you know, drinking, and uh, he was a little. He wasn't totally inebriated, but he was. He'd had a few at least, and uh, you know, he was there, and there was this concert and this rock crowd that he was, you know, going to see and all this stuff, and uh, he got asking me questions, and I started witnessing to him, and. Talking with him, and I didn't—I wasn't getting very far, uh, and I wasn't really sure where to go with some of it. And uh, Matt Sutton came in, and he said, "Well, why do you say that?" Well, he had a little bit of that in his past. Didn't have a lot of it, but he—he's—you've heard his testimony. Drinking, partying a little bit, doing those things, and he came in and he saw me talking, and I kind of gave him the gave him the nod, like, "Hey, man, I need you to come over here." So he came over, and he got much farther with that man than I ever did. Uh, you say, "What was, what were you doing?" Evidently, I was holding the place. <laughs> I was delaying <laughs> and answering some things and moving some things, and Matt got a really good witness in with him that I I wasn't getting anywhere with. But Matt could because he understood where he was coming from. And your past could dictate and move and make it so that God can use you just the way he wants to and move the things that he needs to. And, of course, they go ahead and move down to Bethlehem to go ahead and take care of the taxes that are going to have to be paid here and the problems that they're going to have. And the Lord has moved it in that direction. I'll look over at uh, Luke chapter 2, Luke chapter 2, and we'll keep going on the taxing and kind of move our way down here, but he says in uh, Luke chapter 2 and verse 1, it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out out of the city of Nazareth into Judea onto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them and the glory of the Lord shone round about them and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior." which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you, ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing, which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. And so you have, uh, of course, uh, they come in. Uh, they come into Bethlehem. They were taxed three days approximately journey down uh, from Nazareth down to Bethlehem is, uh, is the thought. Uh, and they travel about three days. They leave uh, Nazareth and they head down. And, of course, uh, they head to Bethlehem. We all know Bethlehem means uh, the house of bread. That's what it translates to. Jesus Christ is the bread of life in John chapter 6. And he shows up and he's at the house of bread when he's born. And he comes in, and as he comes in, uh, the Lord, uh, we understand that it was predicted that he would be born in Bethlehem. We talked about that uh, in Micah chapter 5 and verse number 2. That's the quote there that we read back in Matthew chapter 1. That that he was going to be born in Bethlehem in Micah chapter 5 verse 2. He would be born of a virgin in in Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14. The Lord's already uh, foreshadowed. He's already told all this was going to happen. He's already pointing it all out. Uh, he's laying out a plan, and that plan he's going to fulfill. Uh, one of the greatest, one of the greatest things you can you can think about is, uh, I was asked this a long time ago. Um, you know, somebody was witnessing to somebody; they were talking, and I got called over, and I got called over, and I thought. Okay, you know, they got saved. It was after a church service. I think it was really late on a Wednesday night. Everybody else was gone except a couple of people, and I had stayed in the building just, you know, just in case everything was all right, you know, just kind of keeping an eye on things, and I got called over. And I thought, oh, good, good. The guy got saved. Everything's great. I'm going to come over, and nope, Uh, still wasn't saved. And he looked at me, and and, uh, they said, well, uh, he's got a question. I said, okay. And he said, "Well, why why did you get saved?" And I thought, "That's a dumb question." I didn't say that, but that's a dumb question. Say, why is that a dumb question? Because I got saved at seven. I grew up in church. Like, it wasn't real difficult for me to make the leap. You know, uh, I mean, or, right? I mean, that's not really hard. Uh, but for somebody in their late 20s, that's a different story. That's never really been in church, never really done anything. And I looked at them and I said, uh, that's not the question you want to ask me. And they said, what? I said, that's not, why you want, that's not what you want to know. I said, I was seven. You don't care why I got saved at seven. I said, you care why I'm still here. See, getting saved at seven wasn't a big deal still being here well why am i still here well because i found the truth say how do i know i have the truth because there's never been a prophecy god hadn't fixed and finished and set in order and made sure that it came to pass and every one of them just keeps coming through and the world never hits a hundred percent but the lord always does And you start looking at those prophecies and it's one of the most amazing things where God can go ahead and literally hundreds of years before it happens, he'll tell you exactly what's going to happen. The world loves to do their vagaries and go ahead and just be as vague as humanly possible to get a prediction to come true. And God goes, "Uh, no, I'm going to go with, uh, yeah, we're going to go with a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and uh, we're going to do that in Bethlehem. Okay, okay, well we, you know, you could have broadened that out and just said, you know, Israel or the world. Uh, you, could have, you could have, no, I'm going to go ahead, I'm going to choose a city and I'm going to make it happen. That's the God we have. Uh, the fact that God goes ahead in an entire population of people, he chooses one person, puts them in Bethlehem and has them have his kid. He does not play around. He knows exactly what he's doing. And he does it right every time. And oftentimes people forget God chooses and God does. And that's what he does. He does it on purpose. God is a God of order and he is a God that does things. He does it on purpose. He's not just, oh, well, what can I come up with today? He's always got a plan and he executes his plan. Uh, Jesus Christ, it was. Uh, It was predicated. He he goes ahead and predicts exactly what he's about to do. Uh, They show up in a manger. And he shows up to a manger because ultimately there's no room for them in the end. We understand that. Uh, But the world, it shows and, and dictates that the world doesn't care about Jesus. That's just the truth. The world doesn't care about Jesus. Uh, they're, they're glad to celebrate whatever they can celebrate so they can get what they want, but they don't care about Jesus. Uh, it never, they never have. Uh, that's obvious. Friendship with the world is enmity with God. Uh, God and the world are not friends and the world it's because the world doesn't want to be his friend he's done more than enough to show he wanted to be theirs. Interestingly enough, a manger is a place where a lamb would be born. And it's the place the Lamb of God was born. A manger is a dirty place. And Jesus Christ shows up when you're born again. He shows up in a dirty heart and cleans it up for you. Jesus leaves a clean place to come down to a dirty earth. Tainted by mankind's sin in order to become the Savior of mankind. And He shows up to a dirty place. It's witnessed by shepherds. Shepherds come. The elite don't show up. Instead, it's lowly shepherds. The shepherds are the first ones to come and see Jesus. Amazingly enough, it's because shepherds were the ones who raised a lamb to be sold for a sacrifice. Yeah. Probably shocking. The shepherds soon figure out that the good shepherd was about to give his life for the sheep. John chapter 10. He goes ahead and has shepherds show up first because he knows he's going to be the good shepherd. Because they're the ones who would understand the sacrifice he'll make for the sheep. He showed up not just to be the good shepherd. He showed up to be the good shepherd for us. Uh, he came and he came because he was going to become flesh to shed his blood for the payment of all of man's sins. Hebrews, he says that without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. The problem we have is that you can't wash away sins by the blood of bulls and goats that could never take away sins. And so God goes ahead and came up with the, uh, with the uh, only plan really the only plan that could go ahead and make it so you and I could have our sins forgiven forever. He showed up because nobody else could take the payment. Nobody else could shed blood that was good enough to pay the debt of the sins of mankind or to wash them from all of their unrighteousness. He shows up because uh, we weren't redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without spot and without blemish. He shows up because the blood is the payment for all of our sins. And if He doesn't show up, we don't have a payment. He demonstrates His love toward us when He shows up. But God commendeth His love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He shows up out of love. The Savior came because of love. He didn't come because He wanted to show off. He came came to give His life a ransom for many. He came because He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God shows up. Jesus Christ shows up. Why? Because He wanted everybody to have a Savior. He wants it. That's what He's done. He has set it up for mankind to have a Savior and to be able to have salvation come because before Jesus Christ, there is no real salvation. Not like we know it. Uh, The Old Testament, you know, they they made their sacrifices under the law and they did all these things and it covered it up, but it never took away sin. You find that out in Hebrews. It wasn't good enough to wash them of their sins. It could cover it. It could show, hey, I'm, you know, I'm covered. Uh, you know, I did everything I was supposed to do. But that doesn't put you in a sinless heaven. You still have your sins. They're just covered up. You're still dirty. It's just that God allowed a sacrifice to cover it up so you didn't have to pay for it. But what do you do with your sin for all of eternity? <laughs> You're still in the same predicament. Old Testament, uh, David, take not thine Holy Spirit from me. Don't let me lose it. You took it away from Saul. Don't let me lose it. You, you and I don't have to worry about losing our whole, the Holy Spirit. He sealed us onto the day of redemption. He's, in, he's inside ready to go waiting. The salvation that you and I have is the permanent salvation of the blood of Jesus Christ washing us of all of our sin. And God did that when he brought Jesus Christ into a world. He made that a possibility for mankind. Whether they take it or not as their free will, free will choice, they could choose to take it or not take it. But when he came in, he gave, them the, he gave them the chance finally that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. It was God's going to come up with the means to go ahead and make it so you and I could have a salvation that the world could never comprehend. The world, in their logic, they don't comprehend salvation. They look at it as, I've got to be able to do something to get there. and I've got to be able to atone myself for all the things. And God said, no, I made an atonement at Calvary. I sent my son, and he lived the life you couldn't live so that he could pay the debt of all of your sins, and he gave his life a ransom for many. That's the whole point. But mankind doesn't want to see it. Look back at uh, Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2. I'm almost done. I think I might be done on time. All right. It's touch and go here every once in a while. Uh, Matthew chapter 2. We've already read the first part. Verse number seven. We'll continue here. Verse number seven. <clears throat> excuse me. Then Herod, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, then Herod, when he had privily called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search diligently for the young child. And when ye have found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. When they heard, had heard the king, they departed. And lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. And they, when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshiped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And, of course, we know the rest. They go back a different way, and Herod goes ahead and tries to destroy, uh, tries to destroy Jesus. Uh, but these wise men show up, and uh, it does not say that they're kings, and it does not say that they, there were three of them. But, anyways... Um, they brought three gifts, though. I'll give them that. Uh, just, just saying. Um, they, come from, they come from afar. Uh, that's what we know. We know they've come from afar. They're traveling in. Uh, they've been traveling for a while because he's a young child. Uh, it appears because of what Herod does, and from two years old and under, he's going to go ahead and kill all the children, uh, all, the, all the male children. Uh, the truth is that more than likely... Uh, more than likely, he was somewhere around a year to a year and a half when they show up. Um, as opposed to being a babe in a manger, that's not what he is. Uh, he, is he is obviously older than that because of the timetable uh, and how it works. Uh, the Lord purposely calls him a young child as opposed to a babe as you saw everywhere else. And so there's some distinction there. And so he is... Some time has passed and it's been long enough for these men to travel over to go ahead and see the Lord. Uh, Once again, uh, they come from a great distance. And oftentimes you and I, in order to get close to the Lord, we start afar off and we try to get close. Uh, You say, how do you do that? Uh, By getting the light that he gives you. There's a light. There's a star. Uh, We have seen his star and we've come to worship him. Uh, By the way, uh, you get light so that you can worship him. That's the point of getting light. The point of getting light is to make it so you can worship him better. That's what they came to do. We saw, we want to go worship him. And the king, of course, Herod lies. Well, I want to go worship him too, so let me know where he is. Uh, uh, False worship. Uh, Why? Because he didn't see any light. He wasn't paying attention to the light. But... The wise men were. And as you're going to be wise with God, you have to make sure that you follow God's word and follow his light, the light that he gives you. And as you walk, you can go ahead and worship him better. And that star I won't get into is an angel, uh, obviously, over the place and uh, is guiding them and leading them. Uh, And whether it's the angel of the Lord or not, I don't know. Uh, But it's a light that was shining and it was particular over a house, (laughs) kind of just logical means, let's face it, that is not a regular star, all right? That's not a ball of gas burning miles away. Um, And you, you look at it and you understand that it must be something, and it's a particular thing for those, and they get to see it. We've seen his star in particular. We know what it is, we were looking for it, we found it, and we've come searching for it. While he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Well, then it's not a problem to seek him. (laughs) We go, we're looking. Well, I'm looking for something. Uh, Lord, I'm looking for an answer. Uh, Oftentimes, you know what we find? We find that people do look for him. They may not understand where they're looking, and they may not understand what he's trying to do, but they're looking because they understand that there is a God in heaven, and I want him. And if he is real, how do I get to him? and what they need is they need light they need the word of God they don't need some great speech they need the word of God to show them and to give them the light that they need so that they can come to a savior and these men they find the light they go ahead and they walk and they go and they seek it out and they look for God to guide them to the place where they're going to go and when they arrive they go ahead and bring him gifts they bring him these gifts and the gifts are particular. I think they brought them on purpose. I don't think this is just happenstance that these are the three gifts that they brought. I think they were planning on this. I think this was a planned event right here. Uh, they're searching. And they obviously packed for a reason. <laughs> well, they may have already laid up treasure. How about that? In store for the day when they would see the king. The king. Maybe you ought to lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust does not corrupt and where thieves don't break through nor steal. So that you can have something to give to the king when you get to see him. Anyways, I'm going to get into some other stuff right there, but that's, that'll preach for a while, so I've got to move on. They go ahead and they present him gifts. Now they give him gold. Gold throughout the scriptures, that's easy to see. Uh, If you can't figure that out, I don't really know what to do for you. Gold is obviously a picture towards uh, the kingship of Jesus Christ. Uh, It points to his deity as God, as well as uh, the truth that he is the King of kings and Lord of lords. Uh, It points to those things. That's why they brought it. They brought it because it is fit for the king to get gold. Uh, That's what he's supposed to have. Uh, it It is pointing directly to that. They bring in frankincense. And frankincense uh, was used by the priests, of course. Uh, So it authors toward his uh, his priestship, uh, him being a priest after the order of Melchizedek, uh, him going ahead and being our great high priest, him that is, you know, all the verses of Jesus Christ being our priest, and him being the being the one to be able to stand between us and devotion to God. Uh, go ahead and it, it symbolizes that he's, gonna, he's the one devoted. He's the one set apart to do something that nobody else is going to be asked to do. The priest is in a position that nobody else gets asked to do. Uh, Old Testament, you have, you have the priest, they do certain things with the sacrifice. You have these priests doing these certain things. You have priests that were on instruments. You have priests that were doing this. And then you had the high priest. And he is the only one allowed in the Holy of Holies. <laughs> He is the only one allowed to do certain things. Jesus Christ set apart in particular as our high priest. And God, uh, these these uh, these men come and they give gifts and they give gold and they give frankincense, his kingship, his priesthood, and finally they give him myrrh. They give him myrrh. Myrrh was used uh, ultimately as a perfume for the dead. That's what it's used for. When they come to anoint the body of Jesus, that's one of the things they bring. They would bring myrrh. It was used for anointing bodies after death. Jesus Christ points to him as a man ready to die. He's going to give his life a ransom for many. These men brought these gifts, and they bring them, and they set it up to make sure that they understood, whether they understood what they were bringing or not, God already did. Set him up for him to be able to be the king, for him to be the priest, and for him knowing that as a man, he was about to die. He's going to give his life. Born to give his life, born to lay down his life for everybody, the ultimate sacrifice for him brings about the ultimate salvation for all of mankind. Amazingly enough, everything that they brought was done so that they could give him worship and to glorify him. Everybody wants the great meanings of Christmas. And the truth is, the reason you ought to celebrate it, I understand it's not December 25th, it's probably September. But anyways, I'm not going to get into all that. The truth is, the reason we celebrate it anyways is to let a world know, to let them know, there's someone worthy of gifts. There's someone worthy because he gave a great gift. He gave the greatest gift he could ever give. He gave, gave salvation full and free. And we ought to give gifts back to him to glorify and to worship him. He is the only one worthy for us to give gifts to. He's, he's it. He is, he is that in all things he might have the preeminence. The sad truth is most people have removed him from, even Christians remove him and put him off to the side and they put him in and they go, well, we'll read Luke chapter 2 on Christmas morning and then let's get to the presents. And he has no preeminence. On the day that a Christian says he's celebrating the birth of his Savior. They leave him out. And they didn't have any gifts for him. They aren't laying up treasures in heaven. They're not concerned about worshiping him. They're not concerned about believing what he had to say and getting to him and doing it his way. It becomes more about themselves and family and let's celebrate and get together and what can we have and what can I get than it does about what great gift God has given me. I ought to worship him for it. And I ought to figure out a way to give him honor and glory every day. But boy, especially a day you're supposed to be celebrating who he is and what great things the Lord hath done for us. Father, I thank you for the morning. I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for your mercy. Lord, you are very merciful to us and you're a gracious God and you continue to meet the needs that we have even today. Father, I do pray that you would bless our day, be with our services today. I thank you that you sent your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to pay the ransom for all of our sins, to pay a debt that we could never have paid. Father, we love you. We pray you'd come back soon in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, take a break.